You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Part of what I do is functional art, so it's steel furniture and sculpture, drawings, paintings, the whole bit. But this, the furniture was a big part of my business as a company for many years. So I went from, um, you know, TIG welder, where I'm, I'm wearing leather gloves, leather jacket, you know, welding helmet, and it's noisy. And um, I'm wearing a, a helmet with a respirator on it so I don't breathe these toxic fumes. And then I'm grinding and spraying and finishing and all this stuff. And I'm doing that one minute. And then the next minute, I'm sitting in front of a fly tying vise with jeweler's loops on. And, um, you know, my problem I'm having is my hands are too rough from working and I'm fraying silk floss or rayon floss. And it, it, it's <laughs> quiet. And it's, um, you know, it, it was just, it was the, it was the polar opposite of, of, you know, 220 volts of electricity and noise. And, you know, again, the music was out there in that studio. So in order to, to hear above the welder with the helmet on, I'm cranking this and, and I'm, I'm done, you know, when I'm done welding, my ears are ringing, ringing like mad. And, and then juxtapose that with, you know, the quietness and the serenity and the, 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 the planning and the move. It was a fascinating time to... Right. to to change focus creative but um you know that that's how the, the the creative part of it um started welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry we focus on guides conservation resort managers gear and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the fly crate Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really happy you chose to uh, dial us in and, and join us for the podcast this time around. We're going to take you out to Brantford, Connecticut. Now, we have got on the line Val Kropanicki. Now, Val is, uh, well, he's an art teacher by day, but he's a heck of an artist. And his artwork has been featured in, well, a lot of fly fishing magazines. First time I saw it was actually in the Fly Fish Journal quite captivated by uh, some of the, the work you're up to, Val. Um, he has a, a company called VK Steelworks, doing one-of-a-kind sculptures and fly fishing-related artwork. Been featured in the Fly Fish Journal, the Drake Gray's Sporting Journal, to name a few. Val, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Mark. Good evening. Yeah, I, I mean that 100%, man. Totally taken with, with what you're up to, and uh, I want to find out how you create these uh, beautiful flies and some of your flat work and your design that you're you're doing in Brantford, Connecticut. But first, let's go down memory lane. How did you get into fly fishing? Walk us through that journey, how it all kind of started for you. All right. Cool, cool. Um, my fly fishing or, or, or fishing trip started, as, you know, as far back as I can remember. Um, my dad, who was a, a teacher also and an avid outdoorsman, um, you know, as, as far back as I can remember, I remember going to streams and, um, Connecticut river, we would go down and, and, and you know, Chuck Meps out in the river there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that progressed, you know, once, once we could, um, or once I was old enough to walk away from the house and, and go down the street, I would fish ponds, local rivers. Um, I, I thought it was funny too, is back in the day, you know, now I can go back and in one of the streams that I fished way back when, um, I still fish often, but, um, I did the mileage on it and it was eight miles one way that my mom would, you know, in the morning I'd, I'd pack a lunch, grab the fishing pole, jump on the bike. And I would ride my bike eight miles, fish all day long with the only, you know, the only caveat was being be home before dinner and then, um, fish the stream, come back. And, and, and that was nothing. It was, it was part of the culture growing up. It was, Mm. it was what, um, I did with my dad. It was what I did with my brother. It was what we did in the neighborhood with all the kids. And, um, you know, that carried me all the way up through, through today. I, I fish avidly and, um, it's, it's a big part of my life. That used to be kind of the only rule in my house too. Just be back for supper or before dark. <laughs> it's, yeah, the street lights. It's a little street different. Street light was the uh, the after dinner, you know, alarm clock to come home. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, geez, I wish we could get back to that pretty soon. It sounds pretty good. Hey, um, let's talk about influences. So it sounds like your dad was obviously a big influence in your fly fishing. If you had to name one or two and Val, just, just so you know, this doesn't have to be somebody that you've even fished with. Maybe it's somebody you watched on television or you saw on, on YouTube or <laughs> maybe probably not YouTube back then, but, uh, dial us in who influenced you. The, um, you know, from, from the fishing aspect of it, it was my dad from the very beginning. Um, you know, and, and it, it, I think it all revolved around striped bass and, you know, trout of course was part of it being growing up in Northern Connecticut and, uh, we fished the trout streams, but there was this mythical thing about the, the striper and, um, he grew up fishing and, and as you know, you know, the crash of the eighties and, and it wasn't until the nineties, early nineties till the stripers came back. But, but growing up in my youth, we used to go, uh, we used to go to a, a fishing club, the Narragansett Saltwater Fishing Club down in Matunic, Rhode Island. And that was uh, from the end of, you know, the end of summer all through fall. What was, you know, I didn't know. I just knew we went to the beach back then um, and he would fish and we would hang out and do kid stuff and fish or whatever. But, um, you know, what I didn't realize was he was fishing the, the fall run for stripers and blues. Mm. So it was, it was, it was that kind of thing. It was just really that big influence. Um, you know, when I look back now, part of the fun of it too was, um, watching Kurt Gowdy and the American sportsman. And, um, I guess that's where, where I, I had this, this image in the, you know, the imagery of him fishing for whatever fish it was the you know, salmon or, or some kind of saltwater species and just that distinctive voice. And it was, uh, you know, we went on, Sunday afternoon, we would make sure we were home and, and my old man, my brother and myself, we would sit in front of the TV and we watched that. And it was just, it was, uh, it was crazy. It opened me up to, you know, what, uh, what the world held in terms of these mythical fish and places. And, and it was crazy. It stoked me as a kid, big time. Hmm. I, I think those were the, the biggest, you know, biggest influence growing up. It was just a part of a culture that, like I said, growing up, we, uh, we did stuff like that. You know, we hunt pheasant and, and geese and occasionally deer hunt, but the fishing part of it was, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a given opening mm-hmm. day of trout season every Saturday morning, you know, after school, whenever it was, we would fish. So my old man, I, you know, I got to give him for that, for getting me going and, and getting me into it and making it part of my life. I got to give that to him. Perfect. Well said. 
So I, I want to get into your artwork, but first I want to get to know you a little bit and in your neck of the woods in, in Brantford, Connecticut. You ready for a few uh, random questions here, Val? Yeah, hit me. All right, let's talk tunes. Um, what kind of music do you like to listen to? So if you're on your way to the water, uh, what's playing on your stereo? Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the music is a huge part of my life. And uh, the fishing part of it, I mean, it, it's, it, it's got to be FM radio. Um, in my truck, I'm not, you know, I'm not wired in and I'm not, uh, you know, a headphone kind of guy when I'm driving or anything. So, uh, it, it's, it's from the time I get up and, and I always, my alarm wakes up when I'm fishing, um, wakes up to set the music, not some kind of crazy beep or anything, mm. but the, uh, you know, with my type of fishing, it, it's, it's, if I'm not up before the sun, I'm late. So, um, when I, I, I go, I love tuning into college radio FM and, um, you know, seeing what comes my way. I'm open to anything. I mean, music is such a huge part of, of what I do in my life and my fly tying mm. and my creativity. And, um, I, I, you know, I can go anywhere with it. Um, and I love going everywhere with it just the same. So I can't really be specific with, with this, that, or the other thing or, or a particular genre, but I do know that when I'm fishing, um, that that first the alarm goes off and depending on what's happening and some kind of weird classical or jazz or there's a there's a great station around us pkn that i listen to and and, and you know who knows what's going to show up at, at three in the morning or four in the morning when that goes off but that can set the tone for the whole day and then um you know dark going out and, and scanning stations i do something really romantic about the the sound of fm radio mm. college radio especially yeah, there's, there's something kind of cool about not knowing what's coming up. You know, when you listen to a playlist and it's either on your iPhone or whatever, wherever you're listening to your tunes, if you're listening to it online, it gets predictable sometimes. I find with classic rock these days, you kind of know what's coming up. You'd have been there, done that. But uh, yeah, I get what you're saying with that uh, kind of college radio FM kind of thing. And, and you hear, you know, commercial radio, you hear the same thing over and over again. Plus, like you said, I mean, that, that's it's, it's, it's great to... to yeah, I mean, you can mimic that a little bit um, with, with a playlist and not know what's coming. But with a modern radio, you can you can just dip back and get another, you know, you can play it again. You can play it over and over again. But on the, on the when I'm driving and I hear something, I'm like scrambling for a pen and I'm trying to write it down. And I'm just, you know, trying to pick a lyric and, and write that down and, you know, without having a Shazam at which you can you can cheat and do it that way. But there's something really fun about trying to figure it out on your own and going back and, 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 and digging in and then getting that song finally. When you're at the bench or you're at your workshop and you're doing some of your, your sculpture, your flat work, uh, or even tying flies, uh, is there a couple of go-to bands you had to, if you had to pick a couple of bands, could you do that for me? Oh, oh man. I love, uh, I love the John Spencer blues explosion. I love Tedeschi trucks, um, fish, Gil Scott hair and zoot Sims is huge. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's a guy, Jess Reno. He's a uh, he's an artist, but he does a SoundCloud stuff that's just like droney, weird, crazy, almost noise. I love that too. Um, you know, I'll go classic jazz or hard bop. I'll go, I'll go wherever. Uh, you know, classical music. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter when I'm when I'm searching that way. Although with um, you know, a lot of times with the tying, when I'm um, you know, if there's a particular theme I'm trying to find in a fly or, or an emotion, if I'm if I'm angry and pissed off, I'll go one way and maybe, you know, I don't channel a perfect circle or, or or old Dio or something crazy like that. Or if it's if it's something else that that I'm trying to get, I can find particular music to go with it. So in that case, 
you know, the theme of the fly might or the, or the artwork might dictate it. But um, a bit, you know, in, in the old faithful, going to, to classic rock too. I don't mind digging that. I know I'm a child of the the uh, late '70s and '80s were my formative teen years, and playing in a rock and roll band and all that. So all that kind of stuff, you know, the Dio and the Deep Purple and the mm. Rainbow. Um, Skinnerd and oh, love rainbow. Yeah. Can't happen here. I mean, I'm dying to do a fly with, with that song. Can't happen here. I mean, perfect. And it's the times now. I mean, it's, and, and that's actually a good one because it's, it's almost come up, you know, and when I'm, when I'm trying to tie and trying to fill in and, and, and find inspiration, um, current events, um, you know, often in, infuse into it. And that song rainbow can't happen here. Um, off a difficult to cure, I believe it is. Um, that that's been something that has been floating around the past few years, as as with the insanity of everything, the way it's going. Yeah, can happen here, unfortunately. How, is happening here. How important is music to your creative side? So when you're doing your artwork and you and you're working on something, uh, is it a big inspiration for you? I get the feeling it really is. Oh, oh, it's huge! It's huge. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I play guitar a bit and, um, you know, have had music in my life for as long as I could remember, um, you know, going way back to my parents. I mean, I remember the day my dad, he, he came upstairs and he, he had a 45 in his hand and he threw it on the, the, the turntable. He's like, you got it. You got to hear this. You got to hear this. And it was um, that song by Janis Joplin with the roller skate key. I got a brand new pair oh, of yeah. roller skates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then um, he did it again with Dr. My Eyes, Jackson Brown, hmm. um, you know, so 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 it, it's been in my life in a huge way. And, um, you know, it's it's either do or you don't. Right. For a lot of people. I mean, music is one thing. But, you know, if you listen to music and it can it can immediately bring you back to a certain time or, or I mean, for most people, it probably does. But it, it takes you back or it makes you well up a bit or. Mm-hmm. or or get angry or get pumped up you know and your blood pressure can go up i mean that that's what music does to me that's and, really uh, cool sounds like he uses it as a tool i can't imagine a life without it yeah no me neither 100 percent. um do you actually listen to a lot of different podcasts while you're tying or working away or is it more music for you well, no no not not while i'm working but what i have found is um you know i like to run a bunch so if it's if it's nice out and I'm running, I can go outside. I don't listen with headphones and stuff. But if it's if it's nasty out or like now it's starting to get cold here in New England, so um, we have a treadmill out in the studio, and um, I've found that listening to podcasts while on a treadmill makes time go by way quick, which I appreciate. Yeah. So um, it's kind of a newfound venture for me. Yeah, I I can relate to that. Um, one go-to fly pattern getting back to the water that you can't live without. So if, if you're out on your favorite stream or section of river or still water more often than not, what pattern are you reaching for? Yeah. If I'm, if I'm going for one, I'm going for a caddis emerger. Hmm. Um, you know, that, that would be up top, you know, sink it, whatever. Um, that would be the go-to if it was salt, it would be a, probably a, a three O chartreuse deceiver type pattern little bucktail in there too, but it would have to be chartreuse, maybe even chartreuse and, and white pink kind of combination. Favorite place to talk fly fishing. So when you're not fishing, is there a coffee shop, a fly shop that you frequent or, uh, you know, a, a watering hole? Where do you get your fix when you're not fishing? Yeah. I, I, I you know, the, the talking fishing about the, um, you know, if, if it's not researching myself in, in on the various blogs or, 
you know, Instagram or, or wherever we're doing some kind of online chat. Um, my, my favorite place to talk about fishing is in the truck, driving home from wherever I just was fishing. And, um, you know, if I'm fishing salt, I'm going to call certain buddies who, 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 you know, we have salt in common. If I'm fishing a particular river, I'm going to call that group of friends who, um, you know, who either were there recently or are going next or, or, you know, do time we've done time on it. So it's, 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 I love that. I love that after the, you know, after the event, sharing, comparing war stories and, um, and all that in the truck for sure. Let's talk sports. So, I mean, in your neck of the woods, you've got a lot of choices. I know we don't have the Hartford Whalers anymore, but how's about uh, New England Patriots? Are we talking Boston Red Sox, uh, yeah, Celtics? You know, Who's your go-to? In in general, um, I, 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 I'll be honest with you, man. I don't, you know, I'm not a big TV guy. And I'm not a big. Therefore, I'm not. I'm not big into to sports and, and following sports um, actively. I just don't have the time to, to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I will say, um, you know, going going way, 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 way back, and uh, with a last name like Kropinecki or Kropivnitsky, if you're gonna, you know, say it old school, um, Carl Skrimsky and the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember as a kid, uh, old memory. Here's a good one for you. I remember my dad took me to a Boston Red Sox game and on the way home, we picked up, he had, you know, back then he had this VW bus and I remember we picked up this two hippies hitchhiking and, and, you know, I don't remember anything other than it was a guy and a girl and I don't know exactly where we picked them up, but I remember the, that, that, you know, for part of our journey home, we had these two unknown people with us in the van (laughs) And then the other funny thing about that particular day was I was a kid. Okay. And it, it was, it was, you know, whatever, whatever hot day it was and for whatever particular game we saw, I can remember sitting in Fenway park in the, you know, with the, the, uh, the poles of the stadium there that sometimes block your view. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing I remember most about, it, and it became this like, you know, kind of funny story that repeated in my family history for years was somehow my little sweaty kid feet, in these whatever sandals I were wearing, turn my feet black, like, you know, like black. It was crazy, whatever the leather or the whatever was from the sandal. <laughs> so that that was, you know, that that was my Boston Red Sox memory as a kid. That and going to see Rico Petroselli at um at a JC Penny to get our Little League gloves autographed. If you had to distill fly fishing down, Val, to it like a single takeaway, if what does it bring to your life if you had to kind of uh condense condense it down what you've learned well uh, i think that you know I, i've i've been at it long enough and, and and you say fly fishing but i'm just gonna you know I, i'm gonna i'm gonna call it fishing um yeah i, I think for me the thing about fishing is is to, it's taught me to slow down and, and it's taught me that things change um and and i love that part about it i love that, you know, as, as a metaphor for life, um, you know, we expect people to do something. When we go to the river, we probably expect to catch a fish in that place. Um, when we, you know, and, and, and the opposite, when we go there and it doesn't happen, you know, being able to, to accept that and, and understand that on a river still makes for a good day of fishing. And then, you know, take it back to life when, when you know, people don't act the way you expected them to act or, or that event doesn't go or that plan doesn't go, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to recoil and, 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 and take it in stride. And, and I think that it's just that, 
you know, going to the, the same places. And I, and I talked a little bit earlier about that stream that I, I grew up on. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me to say, but I've been fishing that stream for 50 years, at least, um, you know, 56 years old now. And, and if I can remember back, I'm sure it was before, before I was five years old. And, you know, I have pictures to show this little dink kid holding a stringer full of trout we caught on the maps. Um, you know, so, so having, having gone to the stream and watched it grow and watching a house come up there and watching, you know, watching this part of it change and it used to go here and now it goes there. And, you know, just, just knowing now that it's, it's going to be what it is, let it be what it is and accept it for what it is. And then, you know, that allows me the time to get there and enjoy it. Yeah. And, and I think that that carries over to, to, you know, trying to be human. I like what you said about the change because, you know, it's funny. Um, I ask that question a lot of times and you just said something about how a, a river or a creek um, can change its path. And be believe you me, I know I, I, I've lived that a few times and that's actually never come up on the show. It's I, I always find it amazing when, you know, year to year, certain sections, it's like, wow, this this was an amazing spot once upon a time, but now there's no water here anymore. It's over in the corner and the rivers change. It's, it's, it's fluid. Eh? That's a, that's a really good point. It, it's sad if you let it be. I mean, the, that, that exact thing, it was, you know, probably a week and a half ago I was, I was at the stream and, um, there was, there was one particular pot or, or, or place, right. Where man, I just, I always remember there being more water there and I don't remember it being, a gravel bottom and then you know it was like they used to hold fish and then now it's it, it, it's it's fun it, it, it's funny not fun mm. it's fun funny to to kind of accept that it's funny how often we we hit this one river that has a lot of miles of fishable river and we just put in at one point and just float it but uh, year to year i'm like okay i gotta go left here because i remember this and then all of a sudden next thing you know you're picking your boat up and you're kind of pulling it along because there's like <laughs> a few inches of water and uh what was there isn't there now do you, do you ever second guess yourself all the time you mean picking the right path when you're drifting oh 100 well, well, yeah, who doesn't all of a sudden it's not what you remember Oh, and you're saying, yeah, as memory. Yeah, it's not so much that. I second guess the path that I'm taking at that moment because you would make a lot of split second decisions, you know, with boulders coming at you. I always, mm. I, you know, we should do a show on that actually one time. Talk about that thought process uh, with a guide or somebody that spends a lot of time on the river as they're drifting because that would be interesting. But uh, good stuff. I want to talk about careers. Best job you've ever had. Are you doing it now or is it something you've done in the past? Well, well, now I wouldn't say I'm doing it now, um, and, and I wouldn't say now because it's it's I, I don't really consider what I do a, a job at the moment. Um, but but if you're talking about the best job I ever had, um, I'm gonna go with for for a few years, about five years. I worked for a company called Olympic Steel, and um, you know every, I graduated college with a bachelor of fine arts degree, and I started working in the steel industry before I was a teacher. So I had I had 15 years in, in, in various um, from steel erect, erector or, uh, um, you know, estimator for an architectural aluminum firm. But then I started working for a company called Olympic Steel and I was I was um, inputting CAD drawings into a plasma cutter. So what I would do is I would um, 
I would I would deal with different companies and, and, and their salesmen and they would send me prints of the various parts that they wanted made. And then I would enter those uh, CAD drawings and then lay them out so that the machine, a five head plasma cutter, could could cut efficiently. But it allowed me to talk to different bunch of different people in different um, industries that used metal for, for all different ways. And it was it was just fascinating to me. I mean, I love the smell of the building. I love the. I love the companies and the product they made. So that was a cool job. It was a very cool job. Unfortunately, the same thing about that that cool job was I remember the, the defining moment when I decided to leave when the the president yelled at me because um I, I made sixteen percent profit on a job. And that was that was the cutoff. That was one percent below what they needed to make and, mm. and that you know, it was just it was crazy. <laughs> but um but you know, someday, someday I think I'll get back to the ultimate job. Um, I don't know when it is or, or or what it is, but it will probably involve a whole lot of just just making stuff and fishing, and without having to worry so much about uh, health insurance and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well said. It, I, I want to get into your art here just one second. I just want you to fill in the blank for me first. When I am not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what. Um, um, I'm either, you know, my life is making stuff, um, hanging with my wife and kids or, or probably fishing. Hmm. That's, that's, that's the big three. Let's talk about your artwork. So we're chatting tonight with Val Kropanicki and he is, uh, well, he's out of Brantford, Connecticut. He, he does sculpture, flat work design, one of a kind stuff like fly fishing, art related work. You may have seen his stuff in, uh, the Drake, um, fly fish journal, um, also, uh, Gray's Sporting Journal. Talk to me about the series of flies that you have created. How in the world you make it, and um, just kind of what 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 made you come up with this artwork? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so so fly tying. All right. My fly tying beginning started as a kid, and it was uh, it was it was one of the things you know. Uh, um, fly tying, uh, rod building, um, making lead jigs, uh, you know, lures. We made lures. We made geese decoys. But but growing up too, you also have to add in there, you know, where there was woodworking, there was there was painting, there was candle making, there was there was all kinds of crazy stuff that my folks, um, you know, had had a heavy hand and they wanted us to be cre- creative. So um, the the I remember starting, and, and like I said a little bit earlier too, was you know Meps number two gold is is you know that that's the 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 end all to end all. That's the trophy, and that's where if if I wanted to, I could start and stop all my talk about fishing with a Meps number two gold. Um, you know, so so there was that part of fishing. But then I remember one day my dad came home with a fly rod, and um, and it was um, I forget, but I think it was a. a I don't even know what it was. It was white. He had the old, uh, you know, cranberry colored reel on it. Mm-hmm. I, here it is right here. This is, this, I went on ball, a South Bend. Yeah, that's what it was. What, what so, was that name? Sorry, I missed that. A South Bend reel. South Bend. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, just an old cheesy click pull. But um, but I remember he had this fly fishing thing. And I remember there's two things about, about growing up with my dad was there was gear, okay? There was his gear, which... Every once in a while we could use, he would let us use, but then there was our gear, the boys gear. And, and, you know, that stuff got, got trashed and beat up and banged up and, and, you know, was replenished uh, often. 
But the uh, so there was one flyer that we can use, and and I remember flailing around with it and trying to do stuff. But but shortly thereafter too, um, this this fly tying kit showed up, and in the kit was you know miscellaneous materials, and and, and the smell of mothballs was is, is such a good memory. Um, so he, he taught us, you know, there was there was some kind of nymph. I think it was a damselfly nymph kind of pattern. There was a woolly bugger. There was a you know a dry fly, and I remember back way back when tying with those hackle guards and, and trying to tie and. Yep. And back then, I, I used to know how to use a whip finisher. Now I can't even do that. I just use my you know fingers when I, I make my, my finished knots. But the, um, so he started teaching us how to tie back then. And, and I remember there was a few years where, where we made these flies. Um, I don't have any of them around anymore. I wish I did, but I can imagine that they were probably bigger than they should have been. But um, it, it was a good memory. And I do actually remember, too, is on the Salmon River in Connecticut – um, I remember one time I did catch a trout and, and clear as day. I have that memory of, of, you know, throwing this, this, it was a little brook trout streamer and, and chucking it across the river and, and somehow a fish jumped on and, 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 you know, I was proud as punch that day. And it was a, it was a cool thing, but that, that, you know, shortly thereafter, the fly fishing aspect of it ended, um, you know, and then all through high school, it was, it was throwing spinning gear and through college throwing spinning gear again, but it wasn't until, um, it, it wasn't until my teaching career where the, uh, the, the teacher who was across the, um, the hall from me, the shop teacher, his name was Bob Bosco. And, um, come to find out he was very much into tying. So we started a conversation and, and one day he asked me if I wanted to go with him and, and, and he took me under his wing, um, got me back into fly fishing and, we uh, the Farmington River, and if you're from around here too, you know it's a heavily fished. It's it's a cool tailwater river, but um, for a lot of people, it's a technical river. And for me, for three years, I called it the Devil's River. Um, it was it was just it was hard to catch a fish. But but needless to say, that what we would do is during our lunchtime, and um, you know before school, 20 minute break, whatever time we would have, he would take me and uh, he would teach me how to tie flies again. So I got my second second session of of learning and and you know education on on fly tying and uh, and bosco man he ties a mean fly um crazy trout flies but that got me back into to tying and, and uh fishing also the guy who whose job i replaced um he lived on the water uh, not far from me so that opened up the whole saltwater fly fishing thing and once i got into saltwater fly fishing it just it just really amped up and and, and took off but the um that, that I started tying, it was tying, it was happy tying, just streamers and some, you know all my trout flies, my saltwater flies. But then one day when um, at school during one of my sculpture classes, I um, I do this lesson where it's it's a repasse project, and, and and you don't repasse at all. It's it's no. it's um, okay. So you take metal. The, the true way to do it would be to take a sheet of metal, and um, you, you take a bowl of of pitch, heat up the pitch, and and put the metal into this bowl and then you would be hammering the metal from what would be the backside of it in the, 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 the pitch, right? This, this tarry like substance, which, um, would support. So you wouldn't punch right through the metal. And then eventually, you know, you, you would work hard and you'd reheat it and work hard and, and you could, you can make this, this metal, uh, relief sculpture. So I do this, this full repasse project with this heavy gauge tin foil, with uh, some of my classes and, and one way that, that if for students who aren't creative, one thing they can do is they can take an image 
and they can um, and put it on a metal, place it on the metal, and trace it with a ballpoint pen, and that'll give them an outline to to begin the project with. So um, at the time, I was I was frequenting a site. Uh, you know, this is back in the when before social media was so prevalent, and people actually went to websites and forums, and and there was much more of a, a personal conversation. Right. The um, I, I went to this site, a local Connecticut fly fishing site, and um, I just ripped off one of the images that I saw, and it was this fly. It was a Durham Ranger, classic salmon fly, um, and, and I printed it off. And then I used that as my demonstration. And then when I was done, I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to call a guy up. So I, I called a guy up, and it was this kid. His name is Ben Bolello, um, one of my best friends. You know, now ever since we, we, we fish, we talk the whole bit. He's, a, he's an awesome fly tire, too. And um, I, I sent him the, 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 the repousse. You know, I said, hey, I explained what was going on. Hope you don't mind. And I'd like to send it to you as a, you know, as a thank you. So we started talking. And at that point, he was tying these flies, and he invited me up to his place and it gave me a lesson on, on tying salmon flies. So it was that um, it was that night I went up, I drove up, he's about 20 miles from where I live, and he, he gave me a fly tying lesson. And um, on the way home, I, I, I had this idea and I said, okay, I'm gonna start this project. And the name I came up with was 26. That was gonna be the name of the project. And, and it kind of still is. But the idea behind 26 was I was gonna tie two flies a month for X amount of days, and I was gonna make 200 original patterns. That was my idea. 200 one-of-a-kind flies um, and, and see what happens. And I thought I was gonna get it done in two years. 26 was, was uh, uh, one every two weeks for two years. But uh, lo and behold, it's taken me a, a little over 10 years. I'm at 192 right now, and um, you know, I imagine I might get it done before the end of the year, but it was it was that um, inspiration from that night driving home after my first salmon fly tying lesson that I, I really launched into, you know, the exploration of of these creative flies. Now, for me, too, it was it was a, a, a mix of at the time when I was doing this in, in the exact moment was 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 crazy for me. Um, I had been building a, a dining room table. So, I'm, I'm, you know, as I said a little bit earlier, part of what I do is functional art. So it's steel furniture and sculpture, drawings, paintings, the whole bit. But this, the furniture was a big part of my business as a company for many years. So I went from, um, you know, a TIG welder where I'm, I'm wearing leather gloves, leather jacket, you know, mm -hmm. welding helmet, and it's noisy. And um, I'm wearing a, a helmet with a respirator on it so I don't breathe these toxic fumes. And then I'm grinding and spraying and finishing and all this stuff. And I'm doing that one minute. And then the next minute, I'm sitting in front of a fly tying vise with jeweler's loops on. And, um, you know, the, my problem I'm having is my hands are too rough from working. And I'm fraying silk floss or rayon floss. And it, it, it's <laughs> quiet. And it's, um, you know, it, it was just, it was the, it was the polar opposite of, of, you know, 220 volts of electricity and noise. And, you know, again, the music was out there in that studio. So in order to, to hear above the welder with the helmet on, I'm cranking this and, and I'm, I'm done, you know, when I'm done welding, my ears are ringing, ringing like mad. And, and then juxtapose that with, you know, the quietness and the serenity and the, 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 the planning and the move. It was a fascinating time to, Right. to to change focus creative but um mm. you know that that's how the, the the creative part of it um started you know and and then 
I was just going to say, so the, these these flies, what, what do you call yes. them? Uh, are they, how do you verbalize that? Is it a sculpture? Is it a, is it a, what do you call it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, for me, I can call it whatever it needs to be called for the audience that I'm talking to. Um, you know, in, in school, I, I when I teach a sculpture class, I, you know, what does it need to be to be a sculpture? There's three things it needs to have, right? And that's length, width, and height. And then after that, we go into what could it be made of? It can be made of anything. So if it has mm-hmm. to have length, width, and height, it can be made of anything. Then any fly I tie is absolutely a sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of what I do, I, I, I try and really rely on traditional salmon fly tying, um, Victorian era tying, going way back. So I like the, the things that I do to hark that aspect of fly tying. Right. And, um, you know, so so in that respect, I, I mean, I, I'm tying variants of, of salmon flies. Um, you know, the, the over the years, I used to tie on hooks, and now I occasionally still tie on hooks. But, you know, I, t- I tie on what I call a chassis. And or, you know, some kind of support system or a hook, right? It could be a hook, but it's just not your traditional hook with a barb and no. and, and eye and shank and, and all that. So, you know, I, I, I refer to them as flies. They're creative, creative flies, creative fly time. So if you haven't seen Val artwork, um, just go on my Instagram because when we when we post the show, it'll it'll be all over that. And then, of course, in the uh, the show notes and that you'll you'll see a picture of it because once you see them, you'll never forget them. And I'm, I suspect most of our audience, Val, are familiar with your artwork, uh, you know, just whether it's reading uh, online or or any uh, fly fishing, you know, journal or magazine. But I, I I'm curious how much has this helped your tying? Because like you said, I know you're doing a lot of retro stuff here. So you're going back, you're pulling, you're pulling from some old patterns, trying to kind of stick with the theme. And has this really helped your tying? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, I mean, you could say it's helped my tying or it's wrecked my tying. Um, you know, the, the flies I tie when I, when I'm doing my stuff is, you know, three, four hours per fly is, is, is short. Um, you know, six, seven, eight hours is probably more like a good time and it can go up to, to whatever, um, components within what I do, I, I redo over and over and, and, you know, or scrap the whole thing and start again. So when it comes time to tie a, a, a Prince nymph or an AP nymph or a woolly bugger, I mean, it, it, I, I'll be honest with you, man, I don't care. I, I throw the stuff on a hook you know, shaggy's fine. Whatever happens, it, it's going to catch fish. It's going to look the part. And if it's not, then it's not. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's held my time to the point where, um, I can't, man, I can't seriously sit down and try and tie a perfect Adams or a perfect, um, whatever, you know, I, I just, I, I can't go there anymore. It wrecked it. It wrecked that ability for me. Hmm. So, so my fishing flies are kind of sloppy. Um, but, you know, at the same time, too, and I, I want to say this, and, um, you know, it, it's a weird business I'm in because um, as, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of people, you know, tie as good as I do and a lot of people tie better than I do. And, and it, it's weird for what I do. You know, people people like it. People want to buy it. People collect it. But for me, I look at the flies that other guys tie with the same, you know, same awe same they're, they're just as beautiful they're, they're just as well built they're just as structured um you know you know and i love it and that's one thing i hate about fly tying is that you know you, people try and compare this stuff and um and, and you can't no. and, and you shouldn't 
because it's it's just as valid and beautiful. But you know, to answer your question, yeah, it it it, it helped me. Um, I have some tricks and stuff, but at the same time, like I said, it's kind of kind of hard to to tie at the level that intense when it comes to all stuff. Well, something too that I I think is probably lost a little on me is the the scale. Like I I can't tell how big these patterns are. And so if you look at these patterns, they they have this um, kind of flowing, I think you called it a chassis. So, I mean, it's not a hook. It's a work of art. And uh, I, I just think it's really cool. So uh, talk to me about how you kind of came up with that idea to do those kind of whirly, twirly, trailing hook-like uh, sculptures off the back end. Well, I, I think part of it comes from, um, you know, it, it, my particular uh uh, work within um, within sculpture, you know, and, and my influences. Um, I'm very big on Art Nouveau. I'm big on um, arts and crafts movement. Uh, Rene McIntosh is a big influence. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, Mondrian, you know, those kinds of things. And and so that 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 aesthetic, right, the flow of it, I I I, I definitely tie back to a lot of the Art Nouveau stuff that was going on. More organic feel to it. But if you look at my furniture. Um, a lot of it is geometric, and because I build and weld with with uh, thinner gauge extrusions, like like three eighth inch square stock is is my main go to, mm-hmm. um, quarter inch that kind of stuff. So in order to get strength in that, I have to make lots of connections, and those connections, um, you know, that's where the architecture aspect of it comes in, and, and more of a linear, and, and, and I like that angularity and thinking. So the mix of the two. Um, you know, that's where that comes from. And now the overall basic hook shape has to be there. Um, but the, 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 the flowiness of it, I, I think that that lends itself to, to, as I said, Art Nouveau and then also where they belong in the water. Mm. Um, you know, the, the water comes back and, and the water's there and so much of nature, too. Um, and, and I can say this, too, is that uh, when, when I make my own hooks, um, one of the things I can do is like most people, when they, they start tying a fly, they start with the hook and then they add stuff to the hook. I, I can go backwards. I can start with a particular feather and it's a weird shape and I can build a hook mm. to match that feather. Or if, if I want to, there's a particular idea. Um, you know, there was a fly I recently did in the, the, the Four Seasons project and it was it was it was cyclical, you know, and I was trying to show um, the seasonal aspect of it so I can make a round hook. It was it was pretty much, you know, maybe 270 degrees of, of, a, of a circle. So in that case, just the theme that I needed dictated what shape the hook could be. Um, a lot of the hooks you'll see, too, is, is the ones that, um, you know, have have all the, they look like berries on them. Um, for yeah. the present project, I call them harvest hooks, but it's shown up past in the past. Um, that right there is is an example of where I blew up a hook. And um, in order to, you know, save it, I had to glob all this metal on there. And then, uh, you know, in the act of trying to save a hook one day, I, I, I put these berries on there. And those berries I, I use in other pieces when I'm doing ornamental ironwork. So it was a mistake that generated a particular style of hook. I find it interesting the way you verbalize the, the tying, echoing the feather. Because I always think, and you kind of you're looking at it, I don't want to say backwards, but it's, it's coming at it from another point of view. And I think anytime as tires, um, when you're at the bench and you can come at things from another point of view, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's, I I know I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be able to do that. Can I ask you a really stupid question? What, (laughs) 
what kind of vice receives these flies? You know what I'm saying? So how, how in the world are you tying some of these? Because they look fairly big. The, the, yeah, the, they, um, actually, if you go to my, you know, on my Instagram or on my, my Facebook accounts, you'll see a lot of pictures that I'm holding flies in my hand so you can get the scale mm-hmm. for, for how big they are. Um, the hook I'm looking at right now in the vise is, is about three and a half inches long okay. by, um, just shy of an inch tall. Um, so in, in a J vise is what I'm using. Okay. So, yeah, I just yeah. I I guess I had in my mind that some of them maybe wouldn't fit in your vice, but obviously they do. So you're doing oh, yeah, some no. some real intricate work there. Yeah, J vice the the, the J vice I have I'm using a three thirty second three sixteen L welding rod is what I build my hooks out of. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the diameter of the hook itself is three thirty seconds of an inch, and it will hold that. And then when I'm tying some of the uh, you see the wires that I tie flies on, then tie that to the the fly, that wire can be 22 gauge wire. And I'm holding that in the vice too. What's it like so, for you when, when you see either online, like a lodge or, you know, like an Orvis shop or just somebody's library or, or office space. And you see your artwork hanging there. <laughs> I haven't. What? I haven't seen it yet. Come on. No, no. I mean, I've sold a lot of work, um, so I know it's out there, but, you know, <laughs> I, I haven't opened an ad yet. You know, that, that's great. That, that's Someday it's going to be perfect, too. I mean, my one of my fantasies is that I'm driving on a street and then I'll see a tag sale. I'll pull over and then one of my pieces, my frame pieces will be there. I'll be able to buy it back for like five bucks. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> So if somebody wants to uh, get a hold of your artwork, what's the best way to do that? So I, I know I would encourage them to go to your Instagram site and check it out just to get an idea of what you're doing. But what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, I, I think my website, vksteelworks.com, um, you know, that has, um, I recently redid it a few months ago. And it's, uh, the, the flies are chronological. So I have from from 2010 through the, the last fly tide is up there by year. Um, you can go right through in chronological order and watch the progression. Um, the, the, the furniture's on there, everything, sculpture, furniture, drawings, all this stuff's on my website. And there's also a link of how to get a hold of me there through my Gmail account. You want to throw your Instagram out there too, so we can kind of follow along what you're up to? Yeah, it's just VK Steelworks. Perfect. So when, talk to me about, photography because that you must be into photography as well because we all know that when you take um i see all these guys and gals posting amazing pics of, of flies and it's all about the lighting and the, the the way you're capturing that how much of uh what you do is it comes down to photography once you've finished well the 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 i'm, I'm getting my photography gear out so i can give you an, a, a true description of, of what's happening now for better or for worse living in this post-internet world where um you know we're not sending 35 millimeter slides or portfolios around anymore it's all happening online so um you know 1200 uh pixels by 800 pixels uh, 300 dpi you know hello instagram hello whatever everybody gets it instant now here's my secret you ready for this mm-hmm. you gotta have a, a true color ot light and, and if you're doing your stuff right, it's going to have a broken neck on it, and it's going to be hanging from your fly tying vice <laughs> by a piece of red wire. Okay? And then, and then I got one of those. Side, 
<laughs> I'm, I'm giving you my trade secrets here. Off to the side where your your computer is, you got the best thing to use is either a fleece or a hoodie sweatshirt to cover it because that light is going to infiltrate and mess up your out light light. All right, and then here's here's the the big secret is right. you have two options. You either take um, three layers of paper towel and tape that around your out light, or else you take this is a this is a I forget I got something in the uh, you know uh, Amazon and it came in this white kind of paper thing. I use that as a diffuser, or you can also use one layer of felt. So I'm reducing the light that's coming out of my out light. You know what you're then just, I have, you know what you're telling me? Not hold on, we'll get back to this. I should never ask an artist or teacher to describe their technical setup. <laughs> well, so, so, here's the best thing too is, is, is those people who bought flies for me know that, that, you know, us, us guys who tie creative flies, crazy stuff. I mean, we do the best packaging. I mean, it, mm. it can take me, I, I sent the package out to a guy at West and I was literally 17 hours over two days of building packages. I mean, and it was, they were beautiful sculptures, <laughs> but, um, but getting back to this, a piece of gray, background paper all right with mm -hmm. my hot light with the paper towel whatever going uh, uh, a tripod absolutely has to happen um i bracket my shots a few steps down or a few steps I, I i go with neutral or i go down two steps and then the thing that really makes it pop is um you know and this is what i was saying i have here's a piece of uh 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 cardboard from pleasantville new york that that i use to block the the background light so i can create that shadow that you see in most of my my pieces right there's a gradation on the background that's mm -hmm. me as I'm, I'm i'm snapping the photo using a timer and i'm using a piece to block that up top i also hold one piece above the camera and and, and it's just a cheesy little um what is this thing cheesy little it's, it's a good camera it's an awesome camera it's my my second one but it's um a, a stylus tough Oops, hold on a second here. Yeah, so so what I'm shooting was an Olympus Tough. Okay. Um, you know, point and shoot camera. Um, part of the the other ones are with just a, a a cell phone pick, and then I'm using pieces of paper, white cardstock paper, to bounce light, to highlight different parts of the fly to make it uh to make it pop. Mm -hmm. And and any particular fly, I probably shoot uh, anywhere from I don't know you know, 20 to 30, 35 picks. And then from that, I'll, I'll pare it down to, I try and, I try and go with, you know, maybe five or six that tell a story, a multiple views, um, for the fly. So that, that's, that's my secret. That's the, yeah. well, it, it's not as glorious or, or, or pretty as the pictures might, you know, um, might lend one to think when looking at them, it's kind of a, you know, a bunch of tape. And like I said, wire holding up the light and, Mm. It's haphazard thing. How most important photo is that on each side of the the backdrop are two speakers playing the music. I need to make it happen. I love it. So we've heard about um, your sculptures, your fly sculptures. Let's talk about your reels because that's one thing I I did get a real good look at on your on your Instagram account and on your uh, VK Steelworks uh, website. Um, tell us about the reels and and how you make those and and walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, so so my reels um, are are you know hands down my my consumption right now um, infatuation still still and have been this is a, a project I've been on for about six years now uh, probably actually going on like seven years 
So um, what happened with that was was I had just turned, you know, was was approaching fifty. So, um, and and the the story, and and, and this is I swear to God, this is true, man. Um, I was up in my studio and I had my sketchbook and, and I was writing in my sketchbook and I wrote 49 sucks. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that was for me, my old man died at 52 and, you know, my midlife crisis thing happened like 48, 49 kind of thing. Mm. So I had just no sooner written that in my sketchbook where my wife shouted up, she's like, Hey man, there's, you got a phone call. And I'm like, who is it? And she said, I don't know. It's some guy, John, and he's got an accent. And, and I was like, okay, well, whatever. So, so I went down and I started talking and it was a, a guy by the name of John Lindemann and he was calling me from the Netherlands and, uh, he was an Airy Hart reel dealer. And I'd always been a big fan of Airy Hart reels. Um, but he explained to me that he was starting a project called DAP and, and what DAP started stood for was Danish and American project. And his idea was to, um, to, to develop a reel um, made by an artist who fly fished and then and he was going to make them and he was going to, you know, market them. So he asked me if I'd be interested in designing a fly reel for him. Hmm. So, you know, and no brainer, no, absolutely. But what had happened at that point was, you know, we, we talked and, and we agreed on some stuff and, and everything was done with just a handshake, you know, not even a handshake, a, a, a verbal, um, yeah. and which is kind of a crazy business practice, but, but, you know, I had nothing to lose. So for the next, you know, the next, I don't know, year, um, you know, and, and it went on for multiple years. Um, everything fly reel consumed my, my, my time, my thought. And I drew, and, um, you know, those, those black, um, kind of hardbound sketchbooks yeah. I, I had, I filled up one, I filled up another one, I filled up another one. And uh, with nothing but but drawing real designs and starting to research and and you know I'd go online and I'd figure out you know this reel how many parts did that have and how many did this have and what kind of drag that was, but but um, we made a prototype and the first prototype that we made I actually designed um, I, I took a spool from an Airy Hart reel mm-hmm. and I built the frame out of a mailing tube, cardboard, hot glue and paint, <laughs> and um, that's the, the the reel that I have now. Um, stems from that design um, and, and it was that initial you know mailing tube kind of prototype that I made so John made the prototype and um, over the course of the next couple of years the, the prototype made its way around the world um, to various manufacturers seeing if somebody would would manufacture it but it was always an issue of, of, of cost and, and didn't fit John's bill um, but, but over the years as it went on, the, the project went on in my end, but, but got to a point where John, um, he, he bailed out of the project and, and went to, to other avenues and I took it on myself. And, um, at that point, you know, prior to that, I had always, um, I had always said that the drag component of it wasn't my concern. I didn't feel like I was, I was, um, you know, an engineer or technically savvy enough to develop carbon fiber or even push what was new. So I looked at it and I said, what could I do? Um, what am I about? And I knew it was going to be about the form and it was going to be about holding something that was, you know, it was going to be a piece of art. It was going to be a sculpture and, and, and the, the aesthetic of the form was where I needed to focus. I also, at that point went and, um, and started saying, okay, if, if I'm doing it on myself I need to think about the drag, so the drag system, it's a click paw reel mm-hmm. and, um, it, it's based on a, a Russell, Shakespeare Russell 1895. So it's got a, a diamond shaped pawl and, and two springs in it. 
um, which allow me a little bit of play for for you know reeling in or, or paying out line. And um, so so I went out and and for for a few years everything I you know every fly I sold every piece of artwork I made I just save my money save my money save my money. And then I started soliciting local machine shops. Um, it was important to me that it was made in um, Connecticut, close to where I live. And um, I, I, a company, uh, actually a company by the name of Gregor Technologies up in Torrington, Connecticut, um, quoted me and, and, and took the job on. And it, the cool story about this was when um, I went with them and I met them, and, and you know, there was the final, final. Um, sit down and go over drawings before they committed to it. And, you know, we went and put the purchase order through and I sat in front of the owner of the company, the head of the shop and the, 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 uh, the salesman guy I was working with, uh, you know, supply chain, all the people were sitting around his table. And I said, you know, first thing I got to do is before we even start this meeting, I have to ask you and I have to ask you outright. I said that, you know, I can't believe I'm sitting here. Um, and, and, you know, I just need to ask you, why, why did you guys do this? And the owner of the company looked at me and said, well, we looked at it and we thought it was too cool not to do. <laughs> and, and th that was just, I was like, I, at that moment I knew everything was cool. So they, yeah. they built the first reel for me, the five prototypes that I have. And then, uh, when I went to pick them up, uh, I, I walked in and the guy's look on his face wasn't the, the coolest thing. And, and, and the guy, Frank, who, who, you know, my connection to the, uh, or, or Jeff, excuse me, the guy Jeff, I, I deal with, he's like, we don't want to do these. <laughs> I was like, no, no, what do you mean, man? You don't want to do them. And he's like, yeah, no, we don't want to do them. And I'm like, well, what, you know, tell me. And he, so the, the frame on it, so the, the, the form, when you see the form, you look at it and it, it's, it, I like to think it's a little bit different than stuff that's out there. Right. But in order for this form to happen, the frame, it has to happen on a five axis CNC machine, right? Milling machine, five axis. Okay. And, um, when they quoted me, they thought it was going to be three quarters of an hour per frame. And it ended up being three and a half hours per frame. Wow. And, and, you know, to say they were pissed was, was, yeah, it might be a little bit aggressive, but, but I'm not so sure it's that aggressive at all. So from the prototype to where I'm at right now, we had to change it a little bit, but, um, if everything goes as planned, December 14th, I'll pick up 28, um, 28 pieces. And then, um, wow. you know, I'll have the components back. Some of the components are made up there in Torrington. Some are made down the street from where I teach. Um, so, you know, 100% made in Connecticut and, and good to go. That is awesome. And it, it sounds unique, one of a kind. I mean, I actually looked at that on, on, on your website, or sorry, on your Instagram. I, I think I saw some pics. And uh, it's got a real old school look, but it looks super, super cool. It's got that um, kind of aged look, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the, what I'm doing for finish is a, a, a Cerakote finish. So Cerakote is the same thing I use on firearms. So, um, you know, a little bit a little bit of a deviation from the traditional anodized. Now, certain, certain my, my plan is to not, um, you know, I'm not competing with Ross or, or, or Orvis or these companies, and I'm certainly not competing with anything made in China. Um, but my, my model is to make limited edition, small runs, and then within each run, like this run is 28 pieces, um, there's two sizes to it. One is a, a five, six, one is a six, seven that might even, you know, might even breach uh, an eight weight for a lot of people, but they, um, you know, within the, the 28 reels, there's going to be 14 each size. And within those 14, 
of each size, there's only going to be three of this finish, two of that finish, one of this. Hmm. Um, there'll be some a series of one-off engraves. So it's, it's I'm really trying to make pieces of art that are absolutely functional fishing reels, for sure. Beauty. That's unique, for sure. How did the articles come about? I'm really, I'm always curious about how magazine articles um, kind of arrive or do they arrive? Do you have to go out and did you actually seek out and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Are you guys interested? But when you, when you get the, the attention of the likes of the fly fish journal, the Drake Gray's sporting journal, uh, those are, uh, you know, prestigious publications in, in my mind in, in the world of fly fishing. And how did that come about the articles? Yeah, some, some, it's, it's a combination of both. I mean, some, I went out and, and, you know, trying to market my work and get it out there. I, I, I looked and I picked and I, I found stuff and I called them up and I said, Hey, this is what I do. Would you be interested? And then, you know, some people have been receptive. Um, and then, you know, the other ones like the, the fly fish journal, they contacted me and I remember it was like, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was a fantastic. I think I was out shopping with my wife somewhere and I was like, Holy crap, man, you're just not gonna believe what happened. Hmm. And, um, they, they, they believed that they didn't understand the magnitude of it, but it was, uh, you know, Copey and those guys over there. I mean, that's the magazine. That's just, just beautiful stuff. Yeah. I, um, I love what they're up to. Absolutely. It's, 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 it is a work of art. And that's one thing I find with a lot of publications now, they have really dialed up their game. It's not like the old days where it was like a small kind of reader's digest kind of, I mean, it's, it's artwork. It the photography is beautiful. And I think your, your artwork lends itself to that i could totally see why all those publications are like oh yeah let's do that it's different yeah it's fun hmm. uh, it's neat it's, it's it's cool to see you know and i'm humbled and i'm thankful and um yeah yeah good stuff right, let's get back to the water a little bit um we'll wrap up at the end and we'll get back to your artwork and how people get a hold of you but i just um let's take it back to fly fishing um you're an artist, so you're the perfect guy to ask this question. Um, paint me a picture um, of your perfect day. So if you had your day your way, uh, where are you fishing? What are you fishing for? Just um, walk us through that. Yeah, I'm, 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 like I said earlier, I mean, for, for me, fishing, fishing starts before the sun. Um, if, I'm, if I'm not up before the sun, it, it's it's it's, it's sometimes I've not even gone. I mean, especially when I'm kayak fishing, if, if, if the sun goes up behind me and I'll just, I'll cancel, I'll go again. But it's, you know, my perfect day would probably be, you know, start off on the water, watching the sunrise, you know, chucking flies for stripers. Um, and, and the other thing too, about a perfect day for me is, is the, what happens is, is, is once the wind kicks up in the morning, um, it, it's, it's not fun for me. Um, so I would take a break, and then I would probably jump in a boat and and go back out and, you know, finish finish my business with the stripers, blues, albies, if they were showing. Um, you know, I just, I just love the ocean. I love the, the the being on the water. I love the sun reflecting off of it and, and the, you know, the mystery of the deep and um, and the fish. I mean, you know, the, the striper is just the it's, it's the fish for me. It's the mythical fish that that harks my youth. Um so, so it would, it would be that aspect of of the salt. If it were, if it were uh, freshwater, it would probably be the same thing. Getting up early and, and running to a, a local river up here. And um, one of my favorite things to do is when sulfurs are around. Um, it, it's a busy river, as I said. And um, when when sulfurs are around, it can't be busy. But I, I just want the rain to come. It's it's been a hot day of fishing. 
you've been picking fish they're they're a bit you know snarly because it, it's too hot but then um the rain comes and and the people disappear and uh i just keep fishing and i, I love fishing a sulfur hatch you know through a through a kind of close thunderstorm not close enough that you got to jump off the river but but um you know the beautiful thing about it is is the fish keep hatching and the um they're, they're taken and you're soaked and it's just i've, I've had a couple times in my life two exactly where I've, I've timed it perfectly and, and fished through a rainstorm like that. And just, I mean, I, I had a blast laughing at myself, falling over backwards and just catching fish. And, <laughs> and, and, and to me, that's, that's perfection. It's just, just a good rainy day on the river. Is there a good cup of coffee involved or a glass of wine at the end of the day? Or what's, what's your uh, beverage of choice? Um, yeah, it's not so much these, you know, at this point in my life, it's not so much about drinking, drinking stuff. Um, you know, so, Fair cup enough. of coffee could be fine no not yeah yeah it's not <laughs> i i love what you said there the rain comes and the people go <laughs> that's very true Some... you know I, I i hold that true for you know so here's another one too that i might like um the, there's a there's a local put and take salmon um situation and it's it's uh it goes through some pretty nasty cities or, or not nasty but but urban you know a hard yeah. urban environment sure so um that just pending snowstorm, you know, and, and I've done that again, timed that perfectly where um, I'll, I'll be able to run to the river. It's going to snow sometime soon, you know, and maybe it's going to snow by 11 or whatever. So in, in the middle of the winter to be on the river in the snow, in the middle of a city with the urban noise and, and catching these put and take salmon is another good one. But the snow will keep people away, too. Mm. Yeah, that's like any salmon fishing, I know, because I do a little bit. I used to do a little bit here in British Columbia. Um, and I'll tell you what, when that rain, they know as soon as the water starts to color up a little bit, they're like, okay, it's go time. And if you're yeah. lucky enough to be out there and it's usually not that many people, but it's the time you want to be there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Good stuff. Is there something, this is a bit of a philosophical question. I always like to kind of ask it just to get a feel for it. Is there anything you think Val as fly fishers, we could be doing differently or, or, or better. Yeah. 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 I, I think, you know, I, I mean, so, you know, here's the thing too, with, with a lot of what I do and say, um, it, it's tempered because of my job as a public servant, right? Public teacher. So, um, so I, I can't choose sides and I can't outright get nasty and in people's face, um, about stuff. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, you know, it, it blows my mind that that for a group of people who are so dialed into fishing, and I, I mean, how many, you know, millions of people, um, how many millions of people have have fishing on their brain at least every day, all day, or part of the day, and you know, and, and it, it, that's exemplified through their their attendance on social media or or websites and all that stuff so with with that many people you know the 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 public outcry over protecting the environment um you know now now don't get me wrong too right there's a lot of great organizations that that do push that Mm -hmm. but it, it seems to be that those are organizations not individuals and and you know for something that that so many people are involved in and so many people hold dear hunting and fishing and 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 public land use and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I think that I, 
I'd love to be able to see more of that. Yeah. And my, you know, my plan is, is in a few years when I'm not a school teacher anymore, I can start using the power of my artwork in ways to, you know, really, really, you know, start to try and make people think about um, doing things to help the environment and pushing to maintain the, the ability to keep doing what we do and love. The other yeah. thing that, that, that I think is a travesty is, um, is all my friends who are commercial tires getting uh you know a dollar fifty a fly or, or whatever that is um you know now i get the i get the business model and all that stuff but and they're competing with people from other countries making you know pennies on a fly or whatever it is mm-hmm. but to see somebody do the work that that they do um that i know they do right because i do it too for for hours on end and not make that much money i think is a travesty yeah yeah that's that's well verbalized for sure I know what you mean about too, uh, the conservation aspect of it. Because uh, to be quite honest, I feel guilt on that. It's like, you know what? I wish I had. It, a lot of the time it comes down to the time. And you, you said it yourself, you know, when I'm not, you know, maybe teaching and doing something else, it kind of opens up those avenues. But I, I often think I could be doing more. Why don't I do that? Or it, it, it does come down to time, but I, I, I love what you're saying there. Cause it's got to start with you, right. Rather than just, uh, I know what you mean with the organization thing, but as individuals, I think we could do a lot too. In a collective difference, you mm. know, and I just, it's, it's, I mean, you know, I, I want my kids to do this one day and I want their kids to do it. And I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I still want to see trout in, in 30 years in Connecticut. And, you know, I'm, I'm worried that it's just going to go north and, you know, I'll be fishing for tarpon and drum and stuff pretty soon if the water keeps heating up the way it's heating up. And, and I, I mean, that could be fun. But I mean, like I said, I need, I need stripers and trout. Yeah. Yeah. And you need, having to go to Canada to get them. I got to say, you need cool, cool water for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any crazy fish stories you, you can share with us like i always like to ask uh is there anything weird that's happened to you in your time on the water that comes to mind you might want to share uh i, I you know I, I it's all weird none of it's weird i i can't think of anything particular that that yeah you know it was insane weird i remember the day i caught you know i i had the, the the lucky stick one day and i believe i caught i caught a bottle i caught a pair of sunglasses i caught some stripers Maybe a sea robin too, and it was. I mean, I had the hot rod that day. What's a, um, what's a sea robin? Oh, <laughs> you, you got to look them up. Um, okay, a sea robin. So, how would I describe it? It kind of looks like a horse, a combination between a horse and a Leonardo da Vinci flying machine um, that croaks. That would be a good way to describe it. Um, okay. It's. It's, it's a ground fish up here. It has these tentacles that it can walk on. Its front fins are these big, beautiful flappers. But it, it's, it's got like it wears its skull on the outside of its head. Hmm. Um, and they croak when you get them. Um, so really? they're, they're kind of a nuisance, but they're fun. Um, they, it's interesting to see because they're a beautiful fish. It's just not, you know, some streamlined game fish like a, like a striper or, a, you know, a trout or salmon. Um but yeah, look them up, Sea Robin. I'm googling that pretty quick here. <laughs> I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Right on. I'm, I'm gonna do the same, Sea Robin. I caught a Reebok one time, and it it took line. <laughs> it, I swear to God, it took line. 
Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. So, well, hey, Val, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight, man. I, I really appreciate it. I love what you're up to. I love the fact you're getting so creative with what you're doing and um, yeah. keep, keep up the good work, man. I, I, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I love, I love talking. That's cool. We've been chatting and, and, tonight. Sorry. Sorry. I'll go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at C Robbins right now. Did I describe that pretty good? Uh, hold on. Let me look it up. I don't know. I just didn't want to start typing here because I thought it might make some noise on the interview. Let me see here. C Robin. C Robin. Supposedly they're good eating. I haven't tried it yet. I, I have some pictures. Oh, you know, yeah. I'll send you a picture. Yeah, I'll looks, send you a picture. I have a picture of my son. He caught one once. Almost looks and, like a cod, or like a sorry, not a cod, like a like a ling cod, or a uh, some kind of a little bit, yeah, bass, uh, yeah. Uh, sea bass, or something. Sorry, yeah, you're saying crawls crawls along the bottom with the, those those feet, and then they have those big wings. Um, I was gonna say is I have a picture of my son, and he caught a sea robin, and he's 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 hoisting it up over the marsh edge. And just the look on his face when I snapped the picture was like, yeah, it, it could be a picture for humanity of sheer joy. <laughs> and um, it, it, it's an epic photo. I'll, I'll send you a, a picture of it when we're done here. Sounds good. Anything you want to cover that we haven't covered tonight? Um, no, it's all, it's all good, man. Be creative, you know, have fun. Yeah. Mask up, I guess, is appropriate how we, we, we end conversations nowadays. Um, yeah. Stay safe. Good stuff. We've been chatting tonight with Val Kropanicki. Val is out of Brantford, Connecticut. Sculpture, flat work, design, one of a kind. He's got these fly sculptures on these chassis. You have to check out uh, VK Steelworks is the name of his business. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.